here we go again on the bitterest pill. Welcome to the Bitterest Pill Podcast. This is uh, Dan Class, your host. Recording, uh, you know, live. How else would you record? Under the flight path here at Los Angeles International Airport. I'm, I'm actually not. I'm actually not in my normal uh, drywall box. I'm in my living room. I know what's that about, right? It's season two, baby. It's season two. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. It's me. So basically, uh, what happened was, I, you know, I need to record the podcast. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you know that there hasn't been a podcast in a long time. And, you know, the last one I put out was the one with my daughter, right? And before that, I don't, I don't, listen, it's been so long, I don't even know what we've talked about. All I know is that I... I am way behind, and uh, there's so much to catch up on, I don't even know where to begin. But, let, but let's begin, uh, as I usually do, which is uh, with at the present, and then I go back a little bit, and then there's probably gigantic chunks of potential story that, I've, that I just don't tell you, okay? But I'm, I'm recording in my living room. I usually record uh, in my garage. In my garage, you know, there's the drywall box in there, and then I've got all this sound-sucking fiberglass stuff in there, and it's a really nice kind of dead room. But I don't live at this house, really, most of the time. Five out of seven days a week, uh, uh, <laughs> right? I'm in Orange County. I'm not in L.A. I'm not under the flight plan, right? So I need to either figure out how to record down in Orange County in this little place that we live in, or I need to always come back up here, and I can't always come back up here. So I've got a couple of different kinds of microphones. I've got the mixer. I'm in my living room. I'm using a piece of the sound-sucking material as a table. I know. it's. I know. Everything is reinventing the wheel with your friend Dan. I know. So, all right, this is kind of weird, and I'm not going to get into it that much, but I have, I, uh, I have a job that I go to. Yeah, your, your, your friend Dan, your humble narrator, a former stay-at-home dad, former shut-in, definitely failed actor, Dan Class, uh, has a job. Now, it's a part-time job. The pay, oh, my friends, oh, I got to tell you something. <laughs> there's nothing, oh, there's nothing like getting a job and getting paid and, 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 and taking that number that they offer to pay you per hour. I'm working by the hour, you know, because I'm a consultant or whatever. And by, by consultant, I mean, uh, I, I'm a Yahoo that comes in there. It just sounds better if I say consultant. Trust me, I'm not a consultant because a consultant wouldn't be working for what I'm working for. Because I'm working for an amount of money that I, I, I take that number and eventually got around to be doing, you know, doing the smart thing, multiplying that number by the number of hours they want me to work and realizing, oh my God, I'm going to work, let's say 10 hours and only make that much money. I'm pretty sure the lady that comes twice a week to clean our house makes more money than I do. But I'm not going to complain about that because... Listen, as you know, right, I've been a shut-in for a long time. Now, part of the reason I was a shut-in is because I was a stay-at-home dad. Part of the reason I was a shut-in is because, honestly, I think I was dealing with uh, way more uh, depression and anxiety than I realized. And for someone dealing with as much depression and anxiety as I was dealing with, I got to say, I, I did pretty well. But by the same token... I did spend a lot of time here at the house, uh, just kind of like not leaving the house, doing law. You know, I was busy. I was busy doing laundry and uh, being, you know, on call and all those kind of like uh, you know, primary parent crap, right? 
But the truth is, uh, I should have got out of here a long time ago. So, the fact that that I'm by no means a one percenter uh, pales in comparison with the absolute joy of having something to do, and the absolute joy. And, and listen, I know, I know, because you you might be one of those people that's had a job forever. I haven't. You, I'm sure, are completely sick of your job. I, and I totally get that. You're ready. Some, my, I'm old enough where friends of mine are retiring. My, our friends, David and Gerard. Hi, David. Hi, Gerard. You don't mind if I say this because I'm very happy for you and you seem to be very proud about it. So we have these friends in New York. David and Gerard, okay? And um, they've been together since 1980, blah, 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 right? And they made the plan very early on, I think. Definitely David did by himself, and then I think they did, but about retire by the age of, you know, 55, let's say. I don't really know the details. All I know is this. When we saw David and Gerard, New Year's Eve, love those guys, um, they were both retired. And they're essentially my age. And when I say retired, I don't mean they've stopped working and now they're going to just starve to death somewhere in an alleyway. I mean, they're retired and are now going to be retired and be living fairly comfortably, not super extravagantly and not like paupers, just have, they're going to continue to have a normal life in Manhattan, in Manhattan. I had to say that twice because it bears repeating and not work. Okay, that is, that is a couple of people who have uh, won, right? So, you, you have to understand that the flip side of that is your friend Dan, who was a quote-unquote actor for a long time. Now, listen, we all know, I tried, and I went on auditions. I, I did work. If you boil down, you know, 20-some-odd years of dicking around. You know, if if I put it the right way on a resume, honestly, it's very impressive. But the truth is, I got to tell you something. I dreaded getting a work for a long, getting a job for a long time. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't understand how I could take my skill set and apply it to any specific thing. Okay. And, and, And again, maybe a lot of that was anxiety talking and depression talking and really just having been shunned for so long. I have no idea. So then I went from that uh, with the help of, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals, let's be honest, um, not feeling quite so depressed and and anxious and therefore like really being able to take a step back and say, hey, you know what, dude, you actually, uh, you know, you haven't been monkeying around and just lying on the floor waiting for people to come home with your thumb in your mouth. You have amassed this kind of very useful set of skills, the vast majority of which you could apply to many jobs right now. Go look for a job. And so I did in earnest for a long time. I looked for a job. I, I've told you this before. I uh, have applied for jobs where I swear to I swear to you, it's as if they wrote me a love letter and just didn't include my name. But you know what I mean? It's like a list of my exact skills and experience in Los Angeles, jobs that I'm pretty sure I could walk in and be like, hey, everybody, I'm here. And it would be effing great. And I don't know my theory my theory and my friend Michael's theory, I won't use his last name because I don't want to incriminate him in this diatribe, but my, okay, let's leave Michael out of it. My theory is it's uh, ageism. My theory is that they look at my resume and I have a picture of myself on there, but I don't look that old, but I, maybe they can just tell by the picture uh, that I'm clearly not 32. And so, Based on that and, and the length and kind of the details of my resume, they kind of suss out that I'm not 32, and I go into the uh-uh pile. My wife's theory is my resume is just too long. It just needs to be boiled down uh, or something. 
Now, when she said that, I was like, yeah, maybe. And then I thought about it more and I thought, yeah, maybe so. Maybe, you know, someone my age who is really an adult, like physically an adult, not emotionally an adult, but physically I'm totally an adult. I can't deny it anymore. Once you're Cross the half century mark, there's really, right, you can't rationalize any of this any longer. So um, maybe at my age, I shouldn't spend 30 pages trying to convince people I know how to do things, and I should just tell them, yeah, man, listen, I can oversee all this stuff. So maybe that was the mistake I had. But so anyway, so I ended up, so I'm, I'm anxious and depressed, and I don't know what I could possibly get a job at, to the point where I'm like, considering going into real estate because I know what a house is. And then I go to, and then I'm at a point where I evolve into like, no, Dan, come on, you know, right. And I apply for all these jobs, but I never hear anything back from anyone. And I'm really not joking. And I think I told you this before to the point where during my acceptance speech for the freaking podcasting hall of fame, I really meant to say and forgot to say, but really should have said, hey, um, I've decided to leave freelancing and get a full-time job. And can anyone tell me how much experience do you effing need to get someone to call you for a job as a podcast producer? Like, give me a break. So Thanksgiving rolled around and um, my uh, wife... And I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. My wife ended up talking to my mother before Thanksgiving. And the two of them, you know, like one offers and the other accepts. Basically, next thing I know, we're going to drive to Arizona for Thanksgiving. Now, now we, this is we. We are going to drive to Arizona means me, who already drove to Arizona and back a few months earlier to deliver my car, uh, my mom's car to her, which I had a, I had a blast doing that. I don't know if I ever told you that, but yeah, I drove to Arizona and my mom's cute little Volkswagen. Oh God, did I ever tell you about that? There's so much. Let me know and I'll tell you all about driving to Arizona back. There's not much to tell. Although I'll think of something. I'm sure there is. Uh, so, so basically it's going to be me who's already done it. Uh, my son, who would rather not go because he's going to be home from college and he wants to just hang out with his friends and record music and uh, eat food. You know what I mean? Like he is a college guy. My daughter, who reportedly gets carsick all the time, and my wife, who hasn't wanted to drive anywhere since we stopped driving up to visit her brother in Los Banos. And what was the point? Oh, so so we we went to um, we went to. Oh no! And we'd already done it. That's what it was too. We'd already done the trip. We did the trip in the summer. We boiled our potatoes off. My wife's idea was, and it was a good idea. Try, uh, right? Don't get me wrong. It was a very good idea. My wife's idea was, Melissa. You know, Melissa. We would drive from Southern California to halfway-ish and spend the night and have a little vacation morning and then drive the rest of the way. It sounds like an awesome trip. And by the way, the dog has to come with us, of course. So we drive the halfway, which is essentially to Palm Springs. But we're not in Palm Springs. We're in some sort of other town. I can't think of what town it was, but it's not Palm Springs, but it's, we're in Palm Springs adjacent in July or August, which means that the temperature is double digits, easy, which means none of us really want to be outside, which sort of defeats the whole purpose of stopping midway to have this little thing, right? And also, and I shouldn't say this because maybe you live at a hotel, or maybe you work for a hotel chain that we're going to visit someday. When we travel, can you hear me okay? When we travel, we travel with the dog. But everywhere we go, we don't want those people to know 
that we're traveling with a dog. Because either A, they'll just not let us stay there, or B, they'll charge us ridiculous amount of money for a cleaning fee, quote-unquote, for a dog that doesn't make a mess. He's a tiny dog. He weighs a little over six or seven pounds. He doesn't shed because he doesn't even have fur. He has hair. All right, he does... He, he doesn't shed like a dog that sheds. You know when a dog sheds and they have that shed stuff that's all over your house? It's not like that. I took Hugo, you know Hugo. I took Hugo to the vet today. We can talk about that if you want. But I hold him when we're at the vet a lot of the time because he gets very excited about the other dogs. So I'm holding Hugo because he keeps squirming around. And I'm chit-chatting with this lady whose cat's there who's really sick. He might have a lupus. And you got to feel bad for a lady whose cat has lupus because she clearly loves this cat. And who wants uh, to treat lupus in a cat? And so all of a sudden, this really beautiful woman comes in. This is a tangent, and I know. And, and if all goes well, because I think we're two or three tangents deep right now. But it's okay, because really, this woman was really a beautiful woman, and she was really friendly. But the, the kind of beauty, not like eh, like actress beauty, like, you're good looking, but I kind of want to club you to death. Not that kind of beautiful. Kind of beautiful like, you may or may not know how beautiful you are, because you're dressed like you don't know how beautiful you are, and yet you're close, like, like, I don't know what's happening, but you're very interesting. You know, that kind of thing, right? So I'm trying to be charming to these two ladies, the one with the lupus cat and the beautiful tall lady. And I'm holding Hugo, and they think Hugo's cute because he's he is kind of this weird, scrappy, mutt kind of cute. And what I don't realize, because I'm so busy chatting up the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically using, I hate to say this, and I hope this woman never figures out Right. I'm basically using the woman sitting directly next to me and our discussion about lupus to glance over and examine the features of this really beautiful, statuesque African-American lady. Okay. Really just like comic book precision features. Super lovely. I don't know how teeth get that white. Like, can real teeth actually be that white? I don't. And I'm so, so I'm studying her and I'm talking about lupus and Hugo's, you know, kind of squirming around and he is covering me and my black polo shirt with his stupid, stupid hair. So listen, maybe these four star, uh, you know, four seasons, whatever the hell they are places really should charge us a, Right, But if my daughter rubbed her head against my black polo shirt, trust me, it would be way more hair than Hugo. So, I don't, so I'm very torn about paying for Hugo to stay in these hotels. But what that means is we always have to sneak Hugo into these hotels. So if you ever see four people, one of them, you know, like a small, very angry looking bald man, walking semi-sheepishly into a hotel... And the kind of angry looking little bald guy has a duffel bag on his shoulder with a jacket that is covering the ends of it. There's a dog in there. It's me and there's a dog in there. And he's kind of good as a wingman and kind of the worst wingman. You know what I mean? So when we went to Arizona, see, now I'm back. See, we went literally... Two or three tangents out, and I'm back to Thanksgiving in Arizona. Listen, I know it's been a while, but I, I've still got it. <laughs> I can still find my way back to you from my tangents, right? Um, so I'm sitting in my parents' living room at Thanksgiving time in Prescott, Arizona. And I'm having one of those, you know, moments or two where, um, listen, my dad, and I've told you this before, I don't talk that much. And my dad really doesn't talk much, okay? Now, he'll talk a little more at dinner, you know, when there's food and beverages and, and con all that kind of... Con like, he doesn't sit there and ignore us or anything like that. No, no, no. He just... His natural default is not to talk a lot. So, 
It's a very normal thing for he and I to sit in a room together and he stares off into space and I look at my phone or I stare off into space and we're very, you know, that's just a thing we do together and separately, but sometimes we do it together. So we were doing that together. So my dad is sitting in in their freaking gorgeous house. My parents, my dad's another one that just won. He really, he he played the whole system so beautifully. Um, so he's sitting, staring off into space, uh, probably trying to work up a budget for whatever project my mom is going to dream up next. And I, out of sheer desperation, am looking through Craigslist for a job. But on Craigslist, no, I'm not stupid. I'm in Prescott, Arizona, but I'm looking at the Craigslist in Orange County, California, right? And in the Craigslist in Orange County, California, well, let me say this. Where So, so you go into Craigslist, and I don't know if you've ever used it for anything other than trying to sell your old bong or something, but you go into Craigslist. I know you don't have a bong. Relax. Bong is a funny word. I know you don't have a bong. Do you remember? Do you remember a long time ago when I found a bong in my trash can outside? Do you remember that? That was weird. I go to bring in the empty garbage cans and the big black one, you know, the one for garbage was open. So I go to shut it and I look in there and there is literally a, probably a four foot tall water bong in my garbage. Anyway, so you, you go on Craigslist and, um, you know, my experience with Craigslist, honestly, up until that point, had just been trying to sell furniture. You know, sofas and stuff. We had this old radio cabinet, which we sold. And, you know, you know that that was it. But you, there are job listings on there. So what you do is you go, you know, Craigslist, and you look for jobs, click on that. And then it has the jobs broken down into categories. Now, the category that I'm looking for, I forget what it was, something like TV, film, what was it? TV film acting or TV film internet or I don't know. So I click on that because I'm looking for some kind of podcasting video related internet. I don't listen. Can we just, can someone write? Well, in this section of Craigslist, if you're ever interested, this is not only where they would post jobs that I would be qualified for, but it's also exactly where they post all the jobs where they're trying to find young ladies who are willing to be naked, etc., in front of a camera. So I am weeding through pages and pages of porn ads. And it's cute how they all kind of dance around it in, in different ways. Whether you're a model or an actress, and you're, it's a big opportunity and you can make $1,000 a day. Hey, listen, you got to put, uh, you know, you got to eat a couple hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, eh, but listen, eh, everybody does that. Not really. But I did find a couple of... Um, I think the first thing I saw was something like videographers needed. I'm like, ooh, I... I might be able to be a videographer. I know a lot about that. I've just shot a lot of stuff. Videographer needed. Basically, we're uh, going to send you to depositions. And you're going to stand there and videotape the whole thing based on uh, the protocol. And I'm so desperate. My my reaction to that was, yes, please. <laughs> because the, the pay actually wasn't bad to just stand around in some conference room, probably in a suit and tie. And videotape uh, people, you know, arguing or confessing or negotiating or whatever. I, that, I would find that fascinating. So I, I, you know, bookmarked that. Something about acting or some acting teacher thing or whatever. But I find a listing for this thing. And I forget exactly how they put it. But it was like, blah, 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 blah. You know, video coordinator. Like, oh, okay, I can coordinate videos. I have... Been doing that since the freaking 80s. No, because I worked at Universal. That was my title, was like production coordinator when I was at Universal. So that, you know, I can, right? That makes sense. For a company called dadsadventure.com, who, it's basically a big dot com slash thing slash I don't know what, where they amass 
and disseminate information to new dads. And they put on these boot camps for new dads where you go and you sit around for three hours learning like the real stuff, not like going to a Lamaze class. I did that. I went to Lamaze and it was all like breathing, breathing, breathing. When they showed us a video of, right, they show you a video. It's a close up of some sort of monster that eventually, you know, pukes out a baby. And then you do more breathing exercises and then you, your wife wakes you up. That's a Lamaze class, right? It's just breathing and all that stuff. Now, that's the, the, so you do that for weeks. I went for weeks, literally like three or four weeks of these stupid Lamaze classes at, at my wife's ob If that prepared you for anything, and it doesn't, but if it did prepare you for anything, it prepares you for what, half a day at the most? I mean, what's the longest that your wife is going to be in labor? Actual breathing, <laughs> blah, labor. Not that long, right? So these, this organization, this group, this company, this whatever it is, I'm not even sure. I'm just trying to read and understand. I'm looking at their website. and No, what they do is they, they get a, a group of guys together who are about to be dads, who don't know anything. These guys don't know anything. Just like me. I didn't know anything except, uh-oh, that's what all that sex was about. It was about doing, okay, God, now what do we, right? So they get a group of guys in, big conference room at a hospital or something like that. And then they have a couple of guys show up who have babies with their babies. Okay, so so get this, right? So you got a bunch of guys who are about to be fathers. They get, they get so let's say it's 20 guys. Then they bring in three other guys with their babies. And then another guy who's kind of like the host coach. And it is a man, it's a, it's a masculine without being a bro. Like real, it's, it, it's amazing. Because what it is, man, listen, I, you know, in 1999 when I became a father, and it's been that long, no, I didn't know anything. My wife read, you know, half of uh, what to expect when you're expecting. She said it was pretty good. I read half the first chapter. I'm like, this is for girls. F this. I went to that stupid Lamaze class. And then I was like, listen, I'll just be on defense. My parents, her parents, they'll tell us what to do, whatever, whatever. So I now work. So I applied. And I mean, it was finally one of those things where I apply for a job and I'm like, listen, you guys, this is perfect for me. I am a dad. I'm all about being a dad. I love being a dad. All I've talked about for 13 years on a podcast is about being a dad. Blah, blah, blah. I'd really love to uh, you know, meet with you and talk blah, blah. And, and I actually did and they actually hired me. And it f- feels so good. Even to do the most mundane task, when you know it is for something that you believe in. And I know that's the most obvious thing to say in the world is like, you know, work is uh, when it has meaning, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but when I, when I was about to become a dad, becoming a dad, was a dad, especially when the kids were younger... Uh, it was a little different, you know, 18 years ago in that there, you know, there weren't that many dads, if any, other than myself in my direct, you know, whatever, that were doing that. I mean, it was so bad. I remember when Hudson started going to this mommy and me thing at one point, and we only went to this one briefly, and then we changed days or something. There was another dad there, and we were so not used to being around other dads because we were so used to being around the moms and apparently just being sh- not shunned by the moms. But you don't, you know, you, you can't. It just was weird and different. We we barely spoke to each other, me and this other guy. Where I have to assume now it's it's completely different. But but anyway, so this so dadsadventure.com. So basically. We're getting ready to relaunch the website. The website now, I, I, I don't bother. But um, 
it's just very dated. It's very dated, but there's so they have so much information. They've written so many books. They have so many, so much video for me to kind of go through and put on the line. It, it is really great, and I really am proud to work with them. And it's nuts. But it really does shift your priorities. I mean, and listen, maybe a little of it is my age, but, but I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't, not everything can be about me and hoping that I do this or hoping that I do that. What what if it's more about doing something that will help other people take what I know? You know what I mean? You're at that age. You're like, I, I got to pass what I know down to the next generation, whatever. But, but it's true. It's really true. You get to a point and you got to start giving it back out. And it's not that selfless. I mean, it's a totally selfish thing. I, if, I, if it made me miserable, I, you could go suck an egg. You know what I mean? But, uh, but it's been fantastic. And the people are great. It's so great, I got to tell you something. After being a dad, you know, dad actor for so long, and then... I think one of my big worries about getting into the workforce was, but I've been a dad. I haven't been work. You know, I don't think of myself as having been working, even though obviously I've been working, but I I thought of myself as a dad. It's so nice to go to work with people where I can talk about being a dad and it is not an issue at all. In fact, it's like, it's a benefit. And it just made me realize that part of the problem, part of the situation, part of all of it is, the guys still aren't expected to be parents in that way, in, in, in any connected way, or, or at least some percentage, right? And that's the thing that, that I've been kind of swimming against all this time is guys are supposed to worry about their career and making money and making sure the insurance is paid for and stuff like that and not, you know, you know, you play catch, you know what I mean? You go to a couple of games or whatever, whatever, but really, who cares? Where, I don't know, man, it's just always great to see guys. It's great to see, I hate, I'm going to sound like an old fogey now because I'm so in denial of my age. I think they're, I think I'm in my thirties, but it is so great to see young guys doing what I did. It's so great to see, I was chatting with this dude, Josh, who's just like, uber uber comic book geek, geek dad you know what i mean but he's just so into his daughter he's so he's just you can tell he's a great dad and he's just like yeah whatever i love her this is great not fighting it not feeling emasculated by it because there's nothing there's nothing uh, you know feminine about being a dad just because you care for your kids and are, and are affectionate to your kids or pay attention to your kids, that's not a, a, a feminine thing at all. But I think for some guys, they just don't want to connect or don't want to go there or something. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But the guys I know have always been into their kids. So it's always, it's always good. But it's really great to see kind of the, there's this, you know, seeing the new guys come in and be like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be in the trenches, man. I'm not screwing around. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, good, because you know what? I've always said, I've said it before, and I will say it again. You want to know who a real man is? A real man is a guy who can change a diaper with one hand while eating a sloppy joe with the other. Okay? That's a real man. Right? You get in there, you do it, you get it done, you get out, you have a good time. You teach him. You try not to screw him up too much, although that's impossible. And then uh, you keep moving on. And then when you're me and you're, you know, your youngest is a freaking young woman, it's time for you to readjust and start, uh, I don't know what, helping the younger guys out, right? So listen, I, I, I hate to come on the podcast and say that I'm happy about something because it's really counterproductive. But uh, I, I, I gotta say, I'm really, I like going, I like taking a shower and I like putting on a shirt, you know, with a collar and going to work. 
I'm going to buy some, I'm so excited. To, I got to buy some new black shoes tomorrow. Is this the weirdest thing? I know it's so weird. I just want to be normal-ish. You know what I mean? I just want to be a little more normal than I am. And I think I'll be fine. I think I'll be fine. And then I may start doing a pot. And I, I always, I always qualify this because we haven't started yet. And I'll keep you posted on this. I may start doing, I may start producing and potentially even co-hosting a podcast with a shrink. Yeah, I know. After 13 years of hoping that one of my listeners that's in that profession would finally just volunteer to diagnose me, right? That hasn't come through. And then on tw- like on Twitter, I literally have to kind of nudge Dr. Drew And I'm like, eh, you know, because Dr. Drew, well, we, we can get into the Dr. Drew thing, but I'm like, Dr. Drew, can you diagnose me? You know what I mean? So now, see, in, through this very circuitous Craigslist-related thing, right, I, I'm going to produce this shrink. Little does he know that this has been part of a 13, I haven't told him this yet. I don't want to, right, I don't want to freak him out, but this has been, this is going to be the end, the culmination of a 13-year Odyssey. That's the only reason I've done this podcast all this time is for someone to finally, you know, help me uh, get my brain together. So hopefully we'll start working on that. But the Dr. Drew thing, so that would, that, the Dr. Drew thing is uh, basically it's podcast movement. The, the largest podcasting uh, convention is it, is it a conference? Conference. Are they can what? What's the difference between a conference and a convention? Do you know? If you dress like Superman, it's a convention. It's a conference. I don't know what it is. Listen, it's an event where you go and people. Everyone's into podcasting. Okay. So I really wanted to, you know, podcast movement was scheduled in 2017 to be in Anaheim, California, and I wanted to go and I wanted to not pay to go. And so I, uh, I put in an application to speak because I thought, well, if anyone will at least consider having me do something, it might be the podcasting community, right? So I, I put in a proposal to, to do a little session and I get some pointers from Elsie, of, you know, Elsie Escobar of Lipson and uh, she podcasts and all that. So Elsie's trying to help me out, you know, and so... Um, so they accepted my thing and said I could, you know, I could come and speak, which was like, great, you just saved me 400 bucks. So I was very excited. And then, and then as you know, Gary Leland, who is one of the founders, one of the founding fathers, really, of podcasting, period, um, called me up to tell me that I'd been, uh, not nom. I always think of it as nominated, but I was, that I was going to be inducted into the uh, Podcast Academy podcaster Hall of Fame. So I haven't really gotten into this with you that much. And I'm probably, uh, you know, I I want to be careful (laughs) how I talk about some of this because there's been so much talk recently of male lecherism. Is that a word? Is lecherism, lecherousness, lecherosity? Listen, I, I there's been a lot of talk about male le- lecherosity, okay? Uh, here, especially here in Hollywood, quote unquote. And um, I, like, I think you would, if I had told you this, what I'm going to tell you prior to the whole Weinstein, uh, 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 CK, et cetera, 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 et cetera it would have just sounded a lot cuter, <laughs> but it's not. I, I just got to be careful. So you have to understand, as you do, that, um, listen, I, um, okay, so I often give off the appearance sometimes occasionally that I'm at least confident enough to function in society, if not very confident, right? 
But you know, as a listener to these recordings, that that is maybe sometimes actually the case, but a lot of times not the case. Okay. So, for instance, I am perfectly confident in the idea of going to Anaheim because I can drive there and going into the hotel and registering and, uh, and then giving a lecture with a PowerPoint uh, keynote presentation and talking to a group of like that. Totally. That's fine. That's easy for me. The harder part is talking to the people individually afterwards, because I don't want any of them to think I'm an a-hole. Um, but I secretly think I might be an a-hole, but I can't tell how much of it is just insecurity and how much of it is really I'm an a-hole. Because see, my mother's father, total a-hole. And my father's father, honestly, maybe a more charming guy than my mother's father, a-hole. Or at least did some a-hole things. I don't know if he was through and through an a-hole, but definitely did some like weird you know what I mean? Like, I th- I'm pretty sure that I heard a story that my grandmother, his then wife, Boots, Boots got, wakes up or something in, in late at night and she comes out of her bedroom and finds my grandfather in the living room uh, and with a woman. I don't know if they're necessarily doing anything, but he suggested that Boots uh, make him something to eat. So, so I do, I do have a major concern that I'm an asshole. Okay. And it's all, it's all out of insecurity, really out of that, that very, you know, that very cliched, um, imposter syndrome. Right. But I do know that I do know at least enough about podcasting that I can pull off this presentation. And the one thing I do realize is I'm going to go to this conference, okay, or convention. Have we decided which one, which one it is? And I'm going to get this big award, right? And I'm going to get to make a speech of some kind, some acceptance speech. And so that night is probably going to be the night of my life, potentially the last night of my entire existence on this planet where there's some likelihood of me getting laid. Because if you think about it, right, like you're getting that kind of award, maybe you get a little, you know, some extra points. And, and I'll probably be feeling confident. I'll pick out some clothes or something, right? Maybe I'll meet some hot babes, some hot podcasting babes. I assume there's hot podcasting babes. I have no idea. I haven't been out of the house since, right? I haven't been at this point. So at this point, I haven't been to a podcasting conference in a decade. Literally 10 years it's been since I've been to any kind of podcasting function bigger than three guys getting together at a farmer's market. So I start really kind of fantasizing about this because, listen, I, I need, and I don't know why, and I'm not proud of this, but part of me is still a teenage child. I still need to at least fool myself into thinking that there are women on the planet, and it only needs to be maybe one or two on the entire planet, who think I'm attractive. Because... Uh, you know, I was not an athletic guy. I was a, a, an artistic guy-ish and an actory guy-ish, like whatever. And and for some reason, I really just wanted to be James Bond and I wanted people, to, you know, women to think I was hot. So I really needed that for a long time in my youth. And then I got married. And then I had a wife who... Well, very clearly was into me. She married me. And we were very affectionate. Our honeymoon lasted a long time in that we were very just fun and silly together. I mean, we, you know, we are normal humans. We fought and disagreed and stuff like that. I'm still a jerk, but 
We were very lovey-dovey, affectionate, whatever, whatever. And then uh, you have kids and then, uh, yeah. But anyway, fast forward 18 years, I'm not sure that my wife necessarily needs me in her life at all at this point. Other than we are married and if we were to split up, it would crush our daughter. Uh, I don't think Hudson would really care, but Tulu would at least cry for several months. And because she still lives at home, you know, like I'd have to visit her and all this, it would be weird. But I literally, because I'm nuts and because, you know, we've been married for 20 years, whatever it is from since 93. Um, I mean, I don't know, whatever. She doesn't give a shit about me. You know what I mean? Like, Whatever. She, she's so, um, and it's a shame because, um, well, it's very complicated and we're not going to get into it because it's too depressing. And I, you know, I'm not going to take all these pills to not want to kill myself and then suddenly talk about this until I want to just dig a hole and lie down. But, um, she is resentful about all the years that I couldn't leave the house and go get a job, even though I was actually making an okay living, um, not leaving the house as much as an actor and as a podcaster, but still, there's just there's just this weird, I, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's just angry, and you know, whatever. And it's all tied to these other things that are her business that I can't get into. So, so listen, I'm not saying that I wanted to go to Anaheim and have sexual intercourse with a woman I met there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I thought about wanting to do that. But you see, I don't need to do that. But I... I, I, I <laughs> but it would be kind of awesome and horrible, Right? I mean, I don't know. Like, I've never done that. It seems like people sometimes do that. Like, do normal, quote unquote, normal business people, they go out on, like, go to conferences or conventions or whatever. And do they do that? Because I've seen that in movies where people are like, when you're in Alabama, you mess around with the sales force. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how normal people, like, is that just a thing? Once you've been married for 15 years, all bets are up. I like, I have no idea. All I know is, under the current circumstances, um, I don't have any evidence of any woman finding me attractive, and I need at least one. I need one out of the billions of people on the planet to think I'm kind of hot, and I don't think that that's that much to ask for. I'm not asking to be, insert name of sexy male actor here, I just need I, like one, one person. And I figure then maybe the night I get this award, because of the illumination of the trophy, because that's right. Women are attracted to men who've got it going on. Women are attracted, right, to guys that seem to possess a certain quality that they maybe are going places in this world. And these women don't have to know that when I leave there, I'm going to take off my $30 sport jacket that I got on sale at Old Navy and drive home in a car that my wife pays for, crying. I mean, they don't need to know that. They just need to see a happening guy with somewhat fashionable eyewear getting an award. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe she invites me back to the Hilton. I, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. So I gave my talk. The, the talk went great. It was a lot of fun. Huge turnout, which I was really, I got to admit, I was kind of surprised about because I was, I went first in the morning. And, um, but it went well. We had a lot of fun. I don't think I even went overtime or anything. And that was good. And then afterward, uh, you know, I started talking to this young woman who works at one of the big podcasting companies 
really should have asked her how I would get a job, but I, I was too, like, I just got off stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to, normal people just go up there and like, bah, 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 bah. you know, to me, I got to do like a tight 10. You know, I got to get a laugh every seven seconds. That's what they told me at the improv, man. That's what I got to do. So I'm still, um, you know, she's trying to have kind of a normal adult conversation with me. And I don't know what I'm saying because I'm still having adrenaline throughout my whole system. And then I, and then someone else approached me to say hi and to kind of talk about this and that, some other woman. And, and then, um, and at one point, a, a woman came up to me and said, hey, your, your name is Dan Class, right? I'm like, yeah. And she says, I think we know each other. And I looked at her and I went, oh my God, I think we do. And I... And I'm still now. Now that I say this, I don't remember if we know each other from here or from there. But we used to we used to do stand up at the same places back when I was doing stand up. But I don't remember if she goes all the way back to this place, the Natural Fudge, or if she was from Patterson. Like I don't remember. But I very distinctly remember this woman. Her name is Lisa, and she starts. Uh, you know, I start asking her if she's. She says, "Yeah, she, I'm doing a podcast," and blah, and I'm. Uh, I think she said something like, oh, and I, my dad used to do a radio show or whatever, and I'm podcasting it now. And I'm like, oh, really? What was the radio show? Well, it turns out, and I didn't know this, that Lisa's dad was Chicken Man. Now, for some people, that doesn't mean anything. And for some people, that's like, oh, my God, her dad was Chicken Man? I had have heard of Chicken Man, but I've never heard Chicken Man. Is that Right. And apparently, I'm not as true a comedy geek as I thought I was because I'm really not hip to Chicken Man. Not used to listening to National Lampoon and Monty Python records and all the you know all the comedy records of the '70s or whatever. Completely missed Chicken Man. I don't know if it was because I was in Rochester and we had John Volby, Doctor Dirty, but we didn't get Chicken Man because maybe that was more of a big city. That I have no idea. But her dad was Chicken Man. And he unfortunately passed away recently, but uh, I guess he's like this totally revered guy. I got to check out Chicken Man. Well, it dawns on me very quickly. Podcasting is full of women now. And uh, 10 years ago, I don't think it was so much full of women because we were so aware of the three or four women that were actually in podcasting at that time. Like you'd go to a conference and you're like, yeah, there's Elsie and there's uh, you know, uh, Veronica Belmont and there's uh, who was it? Oh my God. I remember so distinctly. I was, I was standing around talking to somebody. I think it was uh, Len, Len Peralta. And um, who was it? I forget. But, but we hear this squealing in the distance, and I turn, I probably told you this before, and I see Veronica, oh, that's who it was, Veronica Belmont, who I can't think of what show she was on, and she's meeting and hugging, um, you know what, Dan, if you can't think of anybody's name, then don't even tell the story. You know, the redheaded girl that was on the web show uh, about the people that were gamers, and then she did Dr. Horrible's wacky musical. You know what I'm talking about? Trust me, those two hugged, and then there was like some geekgasm through the whole place. It was weird. But you could really count the women 10 years ago on maybe a hand or two, especially the really visible women. You know what I mean? Um, and now... I mean, I won't say it's 50-50, I have no clue, but it seemed like a lot of really bright, ambitious, educated, and like really creative women all over the place in podcasting. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy and kind of awesome because Dan um, likes really smart, ambitious women. So it was very, right? And Dan needs reassurance and Dan and Dan. So it's almost time for me to give my speech. 
And you'll notice that that's what I'm saying because that's my job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the honor, the honor of being inducted into the Hall of Fame, it, it, that is this thing that I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, because I, yeah, I mean, I just don't understand. Like, I, I still don't quite get why I was among those chosen. Uh, and also just, I have, you know, maybe I'm a little uh, autistic or something. Like, I don't fully feel it. I don't understand it. But also, but just, I know, like, listen, whatever, I have to talk after you say I get the award. So that's my focus. But because my brain races, um, I can't decide what I'm going to say. So I've got, you know, 20 minutes worth of things to say and 10 minutes or seven, actually seven minutes to say them. And it's so, you know, I get so wound up and so whatever it is, so ADD and so uh, that I literally cannot sit down and go, okay, dude, you got to whittle this down to seven minutes. No, I am like, okay, dude, apparently you can't whittle this down. So good luck. But I at least was smart enough. I wrote a bunch of things down in a little book. And I thought of a joke where I could use the book as a prop, as an excuse to pull this little booklet out that actually had the ideas on it that I wanted to talk about. So I didn't just stand there going, oh, I was going to say this thing, right? And that's a trick that I stole from, I guess Woody Allen used to do that, where he purposely made up a joke about a pocket watch so he could pull a pocket watch out of his pocket to see how long he had left in his act. And so this little booklet was my pocket watch. So I can't watch the show. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not watching other people get the awards. I mean, I, my eyes are pointing at them. I'm sitting in the audience, but I'm sitting kind of, you know, in the back of the audience because it's showtime and I'm waiting like, okay, so I know after Brian goes up and then there's going to be two more awards and then I'm pretty sure it's me. And Gary Leland is in charge of, you know, wrangling, uh, you know, recipients, right? His, his Hall of Fame people. I don't know that he's necessarily in charge of anybody else, but it's really the Hall of Fame people. And I have very, I have very specific instructions. Dan, when so-and-so goes on, you come backstage, and then uh, Dave Jackson of School of Podcasting is going to introduce you, and then you go up, and then you have seven minutes to get the hell out. So, you know, Brian Ibbett goes up and he's giving a speech and I can kind of hear him and through the, you know, sound in my head of rushing water and failure. And, um, but you know, I, I'm kind of bad with time, but I'm kind of like, I've been there, done that with show, you know what I mean? So I'm sort of like, I'm thirsty. And then I realize, oh wait, no, I'm not being a brat. I'm actually, you know, very thirsty. I really need... Uh, oh, wow. I really, oh, shit. I really need a drink right now. Oh, man, this isn't funny. So I go out into the hallway outside of this big auditorium, and I'm looking up and down the hallway thinking, well, there's got to be some place to get a drink. And it's one of those massive hotel lobby uh, you know, hallways. And I look in each direction, and there's nothing but carpeting as far as the eye can see. And I I'm no longer thirsty. I am beyond thirsty. And I'm literally, you know how you like, you like rub your tongue along the roof of your mouth. It's some sort of instinctive thing that you're desperately trying to trigger your salivary glands. Like I'm doing, I'm standing in the hallway doing that. And I know Brian's done and that I got to get my ass backstage. And I think at this point, Gary is frantically texting me because I apparently have lost track of time trying to bleh, bleh, some water into my mouth. So Gary comes, I think, from one direction or maybe some other guy comes from another direction. All I know, so I'm being led backstage. And so I'm ready. My body's getting ready. My adrenaline is coming up and my mouth is still bone effing dry. So we go backstage and Gary's back there and it's really dark. And I don't, I don't see that well in the dark, you know, but Gary's back there 
and he's, you know, chit-chatting with me and trying to keep me calm. And I'm like trying to keep uh, the whole speech in RAM. You know what I mean? And so the inner, and Dave Jackson's back there. And I love, I love Dave Jackson. I, I, I've known Dave since day one and he's a great guy. Um, so Dave goes out and he starts introducing me and the bastard is getting laughs. And I thought he was just going to go out there and be like, the, the, and you know what I mean? Like do a normal, this inductee did the thing and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, he's like, he's very entertaining. And I'm like, you son of a, mm. no, I was really psyched. Trust me. You don't want to go on stage with the audience like, oh God, can we get through this please? So he's getting laughs. And I am looking around backstage like, okay, he's going to finish up any second. I need a drink of water. Now, there's a table backstage, a big round table, the kind of round table that you would expect to see in a big conference room at a hotel, right? And this big round table has awards on it and half empty bottles of water, but no full bottles. And so I, and Gary says, hey, can I get you anything? And I go, yeah, water. And Gary goes, to, hey, you know, uh, Jack or whatever. Hey, can, can, uh, do we have any water back here? And Jack's like, I don't think so. And Gary's like, well, can you look? And I'm like, yeah, because I really need, I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> yeah, because I could really use some water, Jack. So Jack's like, I'll go look. And so Jack disappears. And I'm like, okay, please, Jack, just come. Oh, God, please come back. Because, <laughs> Right. So Gary says something, and I don't even know what he's saying, and someone else is behind me, and I'm, I'm small, so I'm easily made very claustrophobic, right? And I realize that what Gary's saying is, go, <laughs> go, like, go up the stairs onto the stage and give your speech. So I kind of go into automatic pilot, but I still have no saliva in my entire body. I think all of the liquid everywhere is gone except the blood and probably a big sack of pee pee that I'm carrying around. So I genuflect to Dave Jackson and I, I, I take the podium and I spoke for probably seven or eight minutes. I think they pl ended up playing me off. I don't honestly remember what little stupid tidbits I said. I think I was uh, alternatingly humble and a complete ass. I think at one point I was lecturing uh, podcasters to not let advertisers demand that they do sponsorships first thing because that's bullshit. And I, th I, I don't know. The joke with the uh, book was, and I don't think this is going to work in this context, but um, um, before I went on, Grammar Girl, I don't remember her, Mignon Fogarty, uh, Grammar Girl had been on stage. And then uh, one of the other recipients was Luria whose last name is escaping me now because I'm, I should have eaten 20 minutes ago. Uh, Luria Petrucci? Is that her real name? Callie Lewis? Luria Petrucci? I'm so sorry, Luria. Um, she had already gotten her award. She was absolutely lovely. What a lovely woman. I had never met her before. And, and in fact, I hadn't met her at that point. So I have never met Gla Grammar Girl. I've never met Luria uh, Callie Lewis but my idea of a joke is, so I go on stage and I, I make a joke about Jackson. And then I say, you know, funny, um, but Grammar Girl and Luria both have been on my new media celebrity, uh, you know, uh, free pass list for about 20 years now, or for about 10 years now. And I pull the book out of my pocket and a pen, and I start scribbling on one of the pages. Yeah, I, I, I talk to them backstage. So any, anyway, and <laughs> luckily people got it. It was, it was kind of a shot in the dark. 
but it, enough of the audience was with me where I was like, okay, thank you for, <laughs> for indulging me. So they start playing me off. I'm pretty sure somehow I got the idea like, oh, I've gone. Yeah, there must've been music. So I'm relieved. I, I mean, I think it went well. I, I got laughs where I expected to, uh, and I hope I wasn't too bossy or whatever. And I go backstage, and it's super dark back there after being in the spotlight. And I get to the bottom of the stage, or the bottom of the stairs. Gary shakes my hand. Dave Jackson uh, pats me on the back. And Jack uh, hands me a bottle of water. Yeah, that's the end of part one. We'll, we'll, do the part, we'll do part two of Podcast Movement next time. But I've been talking at you for an hour and five minutes. And don't you think that's enough? I mean, seriously. So listen, welcome to uh, season two of The Bitterest Pill. Uh, some of these are going to be recorded here in Los Angeles, some in Orange County, and some in my car somewhere between here and Orange County. We'll see. Um, but again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading. I know you don't tune in. It's a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate it when people say that. Thank you for all the support on uh, Patreon from the patrons. Uh, I forgot to look them up on my phone. I left my laptop in Orange County. Okay, I admit it. I don't have my computer with me right now. <laughs> so I'll come back at the end of the show and thank the patrons one by one, okay? I will get uh, part two of this out to you hopefully this week, but uh, I promise you... Um, the show's going to be weekly again right now. Here we go. This is it. Okay? Anyway, uh, thank you again, though, to all the patrons. Thank you to all of you. Um, I hope this has been entertaining. I've kind of lost sight of the whole thing. But anyway, listen, thank you very much. I will talk to you in a week. All right. Stay safe. The Bitterest Pill is made possible by its generous patrons. Patrons like Megan, Sean Stewart, Daniel Kikendall, Brom Lasagna, Jay Savastrano, Peter Chase, Jim Cariotis, Mike Scott Alexander Hamilton, Jeff Short, Rob Usadin, Dave The Man, Jackson, Harold Goldner Esquire, Flores, David Chase and Gerard Cordonez, and Tom Carroll. Help Dan keep the show going? Become a patron of The Bitterest Pill today. Just go to www.patreon.com. Music this episode was Little Lily Swing by Tritachion and whatever this crap is Dan made himself. The Bitterest Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. Thank you for listening.